Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of Truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. Welcome back to the Burden and Blessing Podcast. We continue with our psalm study here, a little bit different than our devotion series where we're actually going through and trying to go more in depth into each one of the psalms. What's unique about this particular study is that we're trying to go through the psalms in the best chronological way possible. So we're taking them very much out of order, which we hope is unique and refreshing. Try to think of it in the historical context as well. And so we've, uh, we're on our third psalm. We've already gone through Psalm 90, Psalm of Moses, Psalm 113, and now we're on Psalm 144. Joining me today is Pastor Nathaniel Mayhew once again. How are we doing today? Very good. Looking forward to another one. All right. Why don't you take us through it? Well, we are at the end of the book of Psalms. So 144 comes near the very end. And like you said, this is, seems strange because we're actually taking this very early on in the history. We talked about Moses with Psalm 90, Psalm 113. We were introduced to Samuel and a little bit of David. This psalm is going to give us a little bit of a, a war theme. We're going to see that come out pretty clearly and, and God being the deliverer. And the one thing I'd like our listeners to really think about here is the familiar account of David and Goliath. Now, there's other examples, Neil. We've talked about other battles that David fought. You might think of some earlier ones, like you mentioned the lion and the bear that he protected the sheep from. But he was a military leader, and God used his military skills in order to solidify the power of the nation of Israel. And that really comes out in the Psalm. So a couple of things to kind of look for as we read through this. Do you want to, you want to read through the verses of Psalm 144? Why don't we take turns? Uh, okay. I know we both really enjoy this Psalm. So how about I read the first half? You read the second half. Sounds good. Psalm 144. This is the new King James version, a Psalm of David. Blessed be the rock. Oops. I'm sorry. I misread. Blessed be the Lord, my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from, heaven, from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters. From the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speaks vain words, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. So maybe we should stop there and take that first section first. Should we do that? Sure. So what stands out to you in those opening eight verses? Well, I, I like the way David is so good. He just humbles me so much as far as when we talk about different types of prayer with adoration. He's so good at really describing why he adores the Lord. And basically it's self-reflective. Here's all the things the Lord does for me. So again, he uses this personal pronoun over and over again. It's the Lord, as I misspoke when I first read that, blessed be the Lord, 
my rock, who chains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. You might think of hands holding a sword or my fingers who grip the, the arrow and then out of the quiver too. And then you switches from that into my, my loving kindness, the one who's patient with me, my fortress, my, my place of dwelling, my refuge, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge. So when I look at those first few lines there, Nathaniel, I guess I continue to see about, you know, sometimes we reflect on the, the way the Lord is possessive of his people, but I really like the way David is saying how possessive he is of his Lord God, who continues to show how he has to be David's all in all and everything that he does, whatever, whatever battle he's, we know David was a man of war and that, you know, he fought constantly against the surrounding nations who wanted to destroy him. And so he's finding all of his strength and all of his trust is in Jehovah God. Okay, let's, let's deal with the elephant in the room when it comes to Psalms like this. Okay. What in the world is a Christian doing talking about war? I mean, we touched about, we talked about that just a little bit earlier that there are so, there's so much of that in the Old Testament. And it's so different from what you see in the New Testament. Jesus sends his disciples out and he says, you're, you're sheep in the midst of wolves. And yet here you have David, this warrior king, who's talking about having his eagerly, excitedly, his hands trained for war and his fingers for battle. And then we've got these pretty, pretty graphic pictures in verses five through eight about God's power and judgment over the creation. How do we reconcile some of that stuff in this Psalm? And, and this, it's not just this Psalm. This is pretty much, this is a theme throughout the old Testament, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He's, yeah. I'll give you my thoughts. And I really like to hear yours too. Whenever I talk about the old Testament, God, you, you get those questions a lot. It's like, how can you follow a God that's so bloodthirsty? It seems like and all these battles. And, you know, I, I always describe our Jehovah Lord from the old Testament as a very protective father. And th there's really two ways of looking at that. And you're helping me think of that is that number one, if there, if he's calling the children of Israel, his people, he made the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that if he's trying to protect them, he's going to do that with force. When the, the other nations who had rejected him came after his children, he's going to fight back. And that's what David's counting on here in the Psalm, that the Lord would fight back and be his strength and refuge and train his hands for battle as he protects his people and continues to protect his homeland, basically. And ultimately, what I think the secondary aspect of that is, is that when the Lord continues to fight, he is once again demonstrating his power over these other nations and these other nations' gods. As we see with uh, the whole exodus from Egypt, he was always demonstrating how he had power over all of the Egyptian gods and how he was conquering every one of their gods of the Nile or gods of the, the winds or whatever it might have been. You know, you, you see that over and over. So this Old Testament God is a very war God. When he says David's a man after his own heart, that's one of the things I think of. Not the only thing, but the fact that he will fight for his people. And that was why David was so famous, in my opinion, Nathaniel, because he was getting down and dirty with his people in the battles. He would fight. He was the king, but he wasn't sitting up on the hillside. He was running in a battle with them. And that's ultimately what David, I believe, loves so much about the Lord is that he ran right into battle with him, got his hands dirty for his people that he loved and that he was providing for. So I have other thoughts too, but I've been talking too much. You go. Well, I, I was just thinking as you were talking about David, about that familiar account in the historical books of 
David after he had become a young man and had gone out into battle and he had fought for Saul and he comes back from battle. And you remember the whole thing that was chanted by the people? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And you're right. He was right there in the midst of it, uh, doing all of that. But I, as you pointed out, I think what we can't lose sight of when we see these sections in the Old Testament is the fact that any any judgment that is coming is coming from divine justice. Look, look for example of verse eight where it says, whose mouth speaks vain words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And you think about David and Goliath. You remember when Jesse sent David to the front lines in order to bring food to his brothers and David comes and he's bringing food. And here he just happens to come in when the enemies on the opposite side of the valley, their great, mighty, valiant, uh, soldier Goliath is coming forth and they've made this agreement that, you know, whoever, well, he's, he's offered, Hey, let's not do battle with all of these people. We just do one-on-one -on -one, hand to hand combat. We'll get this all taken care of. Only one person has to die. And he is mocking the God of Israel. And David says, Hey, you're not going to let him do that. Are you? And his brothers are like, you're just a kid. What do you know? You know, let us handle this. And he says, no, this is the wrong thing. You can't let him do this. They weren't handling it very well either, were they? <laughs> no, and they, they didn't. But that's exactly what you're talking about, that God says, hey, there is a time and a place. And when God, when God sees that human beings are following false gods or they're mocking the God of truth, who is the God of the covenant, he says, I don't take that. And so it's a, it's a way of, first of all, of being a witness to what truth is and that truth is defensible. It needs to be defended. And God is showing that through people like David and Gideon and all of these other heroes of faith of the Old Testament. So very much a part of, as you said, you know, God is going to come again and he's going to, he's going to bring divine justice on this world, isn't he? And it isn't going to be pretty, but we need to remember that God is just. And that his judgment is carried out, not in inequality, but in perfect divine justice. I love the way you said that. And I love the way this first half, there's so many other Psalms you can bring in, you know, with verse three, Lord, what is man that you're, you take knowledge of him or that son of man that you're mindful of him. You think of like Psalm eight or some of those other earlier Psalms too. And I like the way you work that in with what David was going through in his life, whether it be with the tending to the sheep or tending to the Lord's sheep with the children of Israel, he was continually to say, Lord, why would we even deserve your mercy or grace? Why do we even deserve to be your people? What are we? You know, we pass away so quickly compared to your eternal nature, which we've talked about, you know, in a couple of Psalms ago as well. So yeah, as we see the Lord's hand in, you know, especially the verses five through eight, if you got your Bible open in front of you here, you're following along with us, you see all the, the ways the Lord, when he comes down and gets involved, it's almost like your, your hero himself, you know, who is Israel's hero? We look at David. It's not who's standing behind David. You know, the Lord's flexing his arms here. When he gets involved, he's like your, your uh, player on the kickball team that you want him to step in and bat for you and kick, you know? So it's like, Here's the one who's going to do this. Lord, when you do these things, when you come down, when you intercede, it's over. You know, the victory has been won. 
And it's, it's interesting how we can compare that to Christ, you know, which we're going to do more in the second half. You got anything else in the first half? We're moving to the second. Well, just one thought on verse three. I'm, I'm glad that you came to verse three because I, we certainly do not want to miss that because there's where the gospel is. A lot of times we take a look at this. What, what is the law? God's divine justice against sin and sinners and rejection of him. But let's not lose sight of verse three. Because what David focuses on there is he says, yes, you bring divine justice against an ungodly world, but Lord, I'm ungodly. And what is man that you should take knowledge of him, that you are mindful of me? When God comes in judgment, he comes in judgment, but he also comes in order to protect someone else, right? Very well said. And and that's what we see carried out here. So this, it, it seems like it's all law. But there is gospel that's buried in here that is that the law is protecting the gospel in a sense. It's mm -hmm. preserving that gospel. And and like you mentioned, it's mentioned in, in Psalm 8. And then we get a messianic aspect of it in Hebrews chapter 2, where it emphasizes Jesus himself as the one who comes in the form of human beings in order to redeem them. Why don't you keep going with uh, the second half, 9 through 15. All right, so picking it up in verse 9, it changes gears just a little bit here. We have a from a military-type tone to a praise-type tone as a result of the deliverance that God brings. So verse 9, I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. The one who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David, his servant, from the deadly sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is a hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculpted in palace style, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden that there be no breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. A little different theme in that second half, isn't there? For sure. Yeah, I like, I like the, in the first half, he's relying on the Lord's strength and now he's really shifting to that praise the response and the praise there and what really struck me when you read at that time is that you go from the instruments of war to instruments of praise and i really like that he's talking about the arrows and those kinds of yeah i like to shoot arrows myself and you get those that bow string versus the harp strings you know and totally different purposes but ultimately the lord uses them all for striking chords in our own hearts and and praising his name for it well, in the second half, so we have this new song that you were talking about and the chords of the, the ten harp, the ten stringed harp. And why? And notice the words there in verse 10. He gives salvation. He delivers. He rescues in verse 11. He delivers. These are all beautiful terms, descriptions of, of who God is and what he does through the, the, the battle. He brings deliverance, he brings salvation, he brings refuge, he brings protection. And when we talk about justice and we talk about law and order, we realize that that law and order has to be there in order for a society to function well. 
And verses 12 to 15 lay out the result of a well-functioning society, don't they? Yeah. Families living and, and producing and, and um, benefiting and thriving. You know, so you've got, you've got families, plants, barns, animals, you know, all of this. This is the result of having law and order. If you take law and order away, you're not going to have a well-functioning society. You're not going to have a beneficial society. And the same thing is true when it comes to God's divine justice. What God brings about through battle results in a prosperous, thriving, economically you know, beneficial society. And that's not just in a human sense or in, or in a secular sense or in a worldly sense, but in a spiritual sense. He delivers us from the enemies of sin, death, and the devil. What happens? The Christians, we thrive as Christians uh, in a spiritual sense. Yeah, I'm kind of curious what you think about this whole comparison with the society of peace. You know, why, why do we look at the Old Testament as a very unpeaceful time and compare to the New Testament? You kind of hinted at this earlier on. We were talking about the Old Testament believer versus the New Testament believer, what's the contrast between that word peace? Because you're talking about a peaceful society ruled by law and order. What's you, what do you think the comparison there is? I don't know that there's a comparison. Well, I don't know that there's a difference. I think that the difference is is the way in which peace is carried out. So for example. Well, let me back up then. I'm yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was say, what, what I guess I'm wondering is why did the Lord encourage the old testament believer to fight against wickedness and you see more of a passivity in the in the new testament time where don't fight back turn the other cheek don't give insult for insult and those kinds of things that's kind of what I'm, that's i'm sorry i didn't no, that, that, more that, along the lines of what i was thinking that's what i was thinking that you were you were trying to get at and i think the big key there neil is that in the old testament god was protecting his people because his people had a purpose, and that purpose was to endure until God fulfilled the promise of the Savior. The Savior so was going to be born in Bethlehem. So, so you would say he's protecting his promise. Yes, exactly. Okay. And, and so, like you talked about in the opening verses of this, God, a Father, is going to protect the promises that he's made to his family, right? And he's going to do that in whatever way is necessary. Well, God did that in the Old Testament. He stepped into history with Moses, with Gideon, with David, you know, all of these examples throughout history in order to secure and to preserve the fulfillment of that promise. Now that Jesus has come, the people of God are not a specific nation here on earth as they were in the Old Testament through which the Savior is going to come. That's been it's been taken care of it's been fulfilled and so there is a difference for us today that we there is more of a passivity as you you commented in the new testament because the promise has been fulfilled of the savior the promise that we wait for is his return and there is nothing that is going to stop that no matter what well i just find it interesting how you're talking about the the peace that one looks for we might we pray for that peace within our own country and nation and you've said very clearly here that 11 through 15 speak towards that but if we focus in on verse 15 you know i it would really struck me with this particular study is all the material blessings that he talks about in those first four verses of that last section you're pointing to but even 
in my opinion, more importantly, talks about the emotional blessings. You know, when he uses the word happy, you know, contentment, the spiritual blessings. I really think it's a nice contrast between, you know, the Old Testament Israel who wanted to keep their inheritance of that land compared to the New Testament children of Israel by faith through Abraham, as Romans points out, that's really looking for that piece of our hearts, you know, versus the material piece too. So it just kind of strikes me when you talk about that, why are we, why is this Psalm one of, a lot of Psalms don't end so happily. And this Psalm definitely emphasizes that happiness that we have joy and peace that we have in the Lord because of what she said, he's promised, not just the material things, but more importantly, the, the deliverance that this Psalm speaks to so much. And, you know, you can't help but think of the words of Jesus and wonder if Jesus was thinking about this verse, verse 15, when he spoke the Beatitudes of the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are, you know, all of those, this makarios in the Greek, this is esher in, in Hebrew, but happy, a blessed literally is the word there. Uh, that we have these blessings from God. And it is, you're right. This is the result. This is what God desires to give to us. And he does that both through the protection that he gives in his law and his justice, but also through the blessed comfort and compassion of his gospel in the person of Jesus, the one who came in our place. So a beautiful reminder of all that God has done for us. And he protected David. He was with David and he also protects and is with us today too. Should we close the prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to study your holy word today. Please remind us of your protection of your promises to us and how you continue to keep those promises protected in our very hearts still today. We are truly happy that you have fought the fight for our salvation and have conquered sin, death, and the devil once and for all for us. We thank you for these psalms and songs that continue to point us to find where our strength is and where our eternal hope rests. Lord, continue to be our refuge, continue to be our strong tower and shield, for we find refuge in you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remind us, as we were reminded again today, of how fleeting our life is here on this earth, but of the coming days of our eternal life with you forever. Be with us, Lord Jesus. Give us always a response to your promises with praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, take confidence in your Savior's promise that he will always be with you, even to the end of the world.